This morning's scripture reading is from John chapter 14, verses 22 through 29. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are in our lives and the way you reveal yourselves by your Holy Spirit in your word. Father, I just pray that as we look at your word that you would just give us um, insight um, as you desire for us to see. Give us the insight that we need in our lives uh, to become more of what you are calling us to be. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. I've said all along as we've been in this series, um, uh, the word, a study in the book of John, and for those of you keeping track, I think we are in part 40 today. Um, And uh, I've been saying all along that the value of the study of the book of John is that John wrote the book for the express purpose of teaching us, showing us, revealing to us who Jesus Christ is. That the reason why it's so important for us to look at the book of John is because he wrote it so that people may be introduced to who Jesus is, his nature, his work, uh, um, his, his purposes, so that we might know him more deeply. Um, as I've walked through the book, as we've studied the book, one of the things that I love most about John's recording of Jesus Christ is the way in which he reveals to us both the heart and the humanity of Jesus Christ. That, that it is easy for us, separated by time, uh, separated from existence, who we are as people versus who Jesus Christ is as God incarnate, to kind of feel as though there's great distance between our hearts, our thoughts, our very being. And John has gone out of his way to reveal to us both the heart and the humanity of Jesus Christ, how he's moved, how he's connected with our own humanity. Whether it is the story of Christ's um, compassion with the woman at the well, or the story of his tenderness towards the woman who was caught in adultery, whether it's the recording that John has of of the the empathy that Jesus Christ has towards Lazarus' sisters, or what we read just a few weeks ago, him looking over the city of Jerusalem and being so moved in compassion for their rejection of him and the coming destruction that they would experience, that he wept. That, that the recording that John has is that he was weeping deeply from, from within his soul. Christ is moved. Christ is touched with our humanity, our brokenness. 
Today's text, I think, in many ways, takes that a step further. It, it is a fascinating, incredible conversation that Jesus Christ is having right here with his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. Just hours before Jesus was crucified, in the reading of this interaction, we find he concerned about the peace of his followers. And I want you to think about this. I want you to deeply contemplate exactly what's taking place here. Jesus Christ knows what's waiting for him. We know that because he's, he's talked about it before. He's talked about taking up the cross and following him. He knows that he is about to be tortured to death in one of the most horrific means of torture ever devised. And his burden in this moment, hours before seeing this, his burden in this moment was to solidify in the souls of his followers peace. He wants to let them know that he, he was concerned, that he was devising a way that their peace might be secured. That what he was headed towards, what he was doing, was for the purpose of securing for them an abiding peace. Look at what he says in John 14 as he's preparing to go to the cross. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is one of the most amazing and wonderful and sweetest things in the Bible. To realize that this is what he is aiming for, what he is thinking about before he goes to his suffering. In fact, this is what he is securing by his actions through his gospel, through his life, through his work, and even his death. This is his goal, this is his aim, this is his desire. He's saying, I want you to have peace. I want you to experience abiding peace. I want you to have the kind of peace that I give. Not that the world gives. This is the practical implications of these verses. Jesus Christ is securing the peace for his followers, for his children. He is securing the pervasive, the eternal, the transcendent, the all-encompassing, all-responding, all-overcoming peace that is discovered in the gospel work of Jesus Christ. And this is a reality that you need to understand. That peace begins when you understand that that is what he is trying to do. The peace of Christ abiding in you, sustaining you, caring you, begins with the realization that Jesus is promising peace in your life. That he is concerned with you finding peace in what you are facing today. Throughout this last week, many of us may have stepped into moments, may have stepped into times in which our peace is shaken. 
in which our very lives, our very foundations can be shaken. And in those moments, there is nothing but turmoil and struggle, doubt and fear. But Jesus Christ, on his way to the cross, is saying, I am doing this so that you can find peace in those moments. That you don't have to dwell in that, in that turmoil. You don't have to live in that fear. You need to understand that the first and most profound work of peace done by Christ's gospel is that he made peace between God and man. That, that we were enemies of God as sinners, according to Romans chapter 5. But Jesus Christ rectified that by making peace through the work of the cross. This is what Colossians 1 tells us. For in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus, to reconcile himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. That the first and most important work of peace Jesus Christ did was taking a bunch of us people who lived in our sins, who ignored our Heavenly Father, who were going towards our own ways and going for our own wants and desires, which in that separated us from the love of our Heavenly Father. Meaning we were always going to stay in that place. We were always going to be in a place in which we could never find true peace, in which we could never find true reconciliation, we could never find true restoration. We were going to be continually enslaved by our own sin. And the Bible tells us because of the rejection of truth, because of the rejection of God, because of our sin, we were enemies. True enemies. Not just indifferent, but the word of God tells us we were in opposition to a holy God. Jesus Christ made peace between us and God through his blood on the cross. That's what Colossians says. So the first and most important work of peace that Jesus Christ did was that. We have peace with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. But here's what's beautiful about what Jesus Christ expresses to his disciples and to us in John chapter 4. It doesn't simply end there. This becomes the foundation of ongoing peace. Not the end of our peace. Not the final state of our peace. But it becomes the foundation of an ongoing peace that can abide with us every single day of our lives. In every single moment of our lives. And it's undeniable that Jesus Christ will one day be the ultimate peacemaker bringing about the final peace of all things in the new heaven and the new earth, when he will cause the lion to lay down with the lamb, that that is the ultimate peace he's aiming towards. But what we're addressing here in John chapter 14 is not the initial peace that he brought through his work on the cross and reconciliation with the Father. It's not the ultimate peace that he will bring in the end when he reconciles all things to himself. But it is the ongoing peace that he desires for the hearts of every single person who follows after him. It is the practical life he wants to give us. We know that because his expression is so personal. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let your heart be afraid. He has in view here your heart, 
He has in view here the peace of your heart and the fearlessness of your heart and the untroubled waters of your heart. He wants his people now in the turmoil of life to be free from anxiety. But for that to happen, you have to realize he is declaring that it is a peace that the world cannot give you. He is saying that only in me will you ever find that peace. How does he phrase it? What does he say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. You don't have to have troubled hearts, he's saying, because the peace I give you is not like the type of peace you've been experiencing. It's not like the type of peace you've been looking for. It's not like the type of peace you've been reaching for. It's not like the peace you've been expecting in your existence on this world. Because how many of you realize, how many of you experience this point of where you thought you found peace somewhere? Peace has been labeled. Peace has been, you've been told this is peace. You, 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 you head towards that peace. But ultimately, you find yourself not at peace, but in turmoil. This is a profound declaration that Jesus Christ is making here, I think, when you consider the audience to whom he was speaking. You have the Romans who boasted of Pax Romana. What are they saying? What are they declaring? What are are they saying they were bringing into the world? The Roman peace. A peace achieved through the sword of Augustus. But in reality, was it a real peace? This peace required occupation. This peace required an enforcement by the sword. They needed to secure that kind of peace by force and by oppression. Can you imagine what those words would mean to the Jews as they would sit there and, say, and, they, would, and, and they would declare Pax Romana? They would, they would put it on, on their buildings. They would put it on their signposts. Pax Romana. Peace by Roman means. Obviously to the Jews, this was no peace at all. They lived in a world of frustration, of anger, and violence, and death. The peace that the Romans declared was no peace at all. And even the Jews. The Jews spoke often of peace. This peace was something that they were continually and constantly reaching for. Think about this in their greeting and their farewell. What do they say? Shalom. Peace. This declaration was drawn from Aaron's benediction in Numbers chapter 6 where he says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Yehovah, Nasa, Panim, Sum, Shalom. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. But even in that declaration, we know that they were not talking about a peace that was discovered. We know that they were not talking about a peace that they had grasped or that that, that they were in hold of, but that it was a promise of a coming peace. 
That they themselves understood that where they were at was not true peace yet. They were waiting for the Messiah to bring it. It was this Hebrew resuscitation that is being referred to in Jeremiah chapter 6 when he says, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Jeremiah's declaration here is, they keep saying, shalom, shalom, but there is no peace. They had not yet found the peace in this life because they were anticipating a Messiah to bring it. Their plight is no different than ours. We live in the same world. Their world is our world. One that heals our wounds lightly. One that never brings lasting peace. The only kind of peace that the world can give is peace of mind based on better circumstances. Now the world can take away our concerns through things like health insurance or retirement accounts or flood protection or government safety nets. And in in that, the world provides some peace of mind. A peace believing that if something goes bad, we'll have better circumstances. But how many of you know that's a shallow peace? A fragile peace? A light peace that's wiped away easily? Jesus understood this. And that is why he says, not as the world gives, do I give to you. And what this means is that his, ba- his peace is not based on circumstances. It is given and it holds sway in spite of bad circumstances. Our life, the, the, the broken world we live in, holds for us bad circumstances. How many of you find that shocking and surprising this morning? It holds for us bad situations, bad circumstances, things that are beyond our control, that send us into turmoil, that send us into fear, that cause us to wonder what tomorrow will be and what tomorrow will bring. And if we put our hope for peace in the circumstances, in good circumstances, things working out just fine and everything's going to be okay, we're in trouble because we'll never truly find peace. The only way we can find lasting peace is if somehow we transcend this broken world. Or maybe overcome it. The other worldly peace that Jesus promises here in chapter 14 is the peace that he's talking about in John chapter 16. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Why? He says, because in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart in that tribulation. I have overcome the world. Jesus is making a declaration here that it is a transcendent peace. A peace above and beyond over the circumstances of this life. 
That he is saying, in this life, you will have turmoil. In this life, you will have struggle. In this life, you will have bad circumstances. But take heart. Don't be fearful. I have overcome the world. This is where we understand that the ultimate work of peacemaking found in the gospel, where Jesus Christ reconciled us to our Heavenly Father, becomes the foundation of this overcoming peace. Because our foundation of peace in this world is rooted in something beyond this world. I want you to see something. Jesus Christ says, in this broken world, the circumstances are not going to be good. They're going to be tribulation. But even in the midst of that, he says, you will have peace. How? In me. And you can take heart. How? Because I have overcome the world. All of this so far is not because of the circumstances in the world. It's not because of my abilities or your abilities. It's in Jesus because of what Jesus has done. And when you move, move to the text in John again, he says something really important to understand. Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. This is, this is an important distinction revealed. He says, the peace I leave to you is my peace I give to you my peace. This is a subtle distinction that you have to see. Jesus is saying, I am not creating your peace. I am sharing with you my peace. I am bringing to you my peace. I am inviting you into my peace. D.L. Moody was right on when he says, a great many people are trying to make peace. But that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And he is saying that he is bringing us into his peace. What he is saying is, I am going to the cross... And there I am going to make a way for you to share in my peace with my Father. I will satisfy his justice. And I will purchase your forgiveness. And I will provide your righteousness. I will secure your future hope. And in doing it, I will bring you into the very peace that I enjoy with my Father. And nothing and nobody will be able to take that away from you. Nothing that anyone says, nothing that takes place in this world, in this life, will ever be able to take away the peace that I'm inviting you to, that I have secured by my actions. It's not dependent on everybody saying the right things. It's not dependent on everyone doing the right things. It's not dependent on all of our circumstances working out. Because Jesus Christ, by his blood, on the cross, has purchased and secured your peace between the Heavenly Father and in this world. It is his peace we've been brought into. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it to you. 
Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace that he is talking about is rooted in the work of Christ, bringing us to a right relationship with our loving, heavenly, our loving sovereign God. And that enables us to see beyond circumstances of this life, to not trust in the hope of this world or seek fortune in the promises of this world. We have a transcendent peace. When we find ourselves in financial turmoil, we find peace in the fact that our God shall supply all our needs according to his riches. That as he watches over the sparrow and clothes the lily, his eye is on us, his children. When we suffer the loss and death of a loved one, we can find peace in the morning because we know that God is sovereign and that we can mourn with a fu- hope of a future reunion. And when we receive a medical diagnosis that shakes our sense of autonomy and when light and our, and our, even, our, even our life, we can find peace in knowing that all things are instruments for God's glory and our good if we yield to him and rest in the hope of our eternal inheritance. It is his peace he gives to us. Jesus Christ is the hope of peace for all who turn to him. And as we turn to him and receive his peace, it is discovered not just in the personal, not just in the individual, but it is a means of bringing peace to society and to our world. Pick your crisis, your injustice, poverty with all its internal and external causes, the devastation of addictions, white-collar corruption like embezzlement or bribery. Look at conflicts, whether they are war, ethnic, or religious hostilities. I would ask you, where do these things come from? Where do these human impulses come from? What is it that drives all these destructive behaviors? They come from hearts devoid of peace. They come from hearts striving to find security. They come from hearts devoid of the peace of Jesus Christ. They are the result of hearts seeking peace in something other than him. Where Christ's peace holds sway, these behaviors are overcome. He is the hope of the world. He is the hope of the world. Upon his birth, the declaration rang out, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. We have the ability to enter into peace, the peace of Jesus Christ, Because the gift of God's Son is our eternal hope. But in closing, I need to show you something else that Jesus said in this passage. I can stand up here and I can declare this truth. I I can do it loud. I can do it eloquently. I can do it emotionally. I can do it in a way that is convincing. But his truth will not take root 
His peace will not bear fruit if it is not planted in your spirit by the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ in this passage, in his conversation with the disciples about their peace, makes this declaration. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. You have to see that there is no separation between the peace message of Jesus Christ and his messenger of peace, his Holy Spirit. Many of you might be aware that we're currently in the midst of the 10 days of Terry. This is the second year we've, we've done this, and we've done it as a, as a mirror of the time that the disciples spent between Jesus Christ's ascension and the day of Pentecost. That for those 10 days, they went to an upper room and they, they tarried there. And, and I want to remind you of the circumstances of their tarrying. As they were in that upper room, they were tarrying in fear. They, they had just seen Jesus Christ crucified and they knew that as they declared their loyalty to Christ, their lives indeed were threatened. They, they tarried there in a place of, of fear, in, in a place of doubt, in a place of turmoil. In that place that Jesus Christ said to them, don't be fearful. In this life, there will be turmoil. In this life, there will be trials. In this life, there will be struggles. But I want you to know you can find peace. And for 10 days, they huddled in that place in fear. In 10 days, they huddled in that place in doubt. In te for 10 days, they huddled in that place in turmoil. And then, he who Christ promised came and the spirit of God filled that upper room and filled them and, and fire lit upon them and they poured into the street not in fear but in a peace given by the power of the Holy Spirit alive in the believer and they began to declare the words of Jesus Christ and that fear never gripped them again because they knew that the presence of the Holy Spirit with them empowered them to go forward. They knew that what they had in them was transcendent. That moved beyond the things of this world and brought to them the ability to live boldly. To live fearlessly. To find peace in all circumstances. God's Holy Spirit presence is here. He is capable of providing comfort as you yield to the truth and the power of his work on the cross. He is here with the same offer. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. He's here even now offering to each one of us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. In whatever turmoil we find ourselves. In whatever trouble we find ourselves. A peace that passes all understanding that will renew your heart and renew your mind and give you a hope above the circumstances of this life. He is here with the same offer. My peace I give to you. Step into his presence. Set your heart and mind on his work. Yield yourself to the power of his truth, of his Holy Spirit, and find peace 
in the midst of your brokenhearted fear. He is here today saying, my peace I give to you.